Welcome to Sarda's Next Stop, where we talk about Sarda and all things transit. Today, we're going to be looking at the future of Sarda. You know, this is our final episode in this season, so we kind of want to look at what we're going to be doing going forward. So we've brought back Kurt Conrad with us to kind of talk about the future. Please make sure that you follow us on our social media channels and also on our YouTube channel. So Kurt, if you could sum up very quickly, like what do you see as the future of Sarda for the next 25 years? First, I have to say I'm very sad. This is the last episode. I'm just of this season. Very sad. That is. <laughs> I'm just very sad. It's just, uh, okay, I'm okay now. <sighs> just very, just emotional. This has been such a ride. It's been a ride. It has been. I mean, I look back through, you know, we started this as a new season, a fledgling podcast. Now we're the number one rated podcast in North America. It's <laughs> amazing. Utterly amazing. It's, Speak uh, that into existence for us. Absolutely. I, I, if you think I am. <laughs> That's what so it is. is that what you say the next 25 years holds is us continuing to be the number one podcast in the country oh no we're gonna we're gonna make it a, it's probably going to be a 25 city tour uh we're gonna have taylor swift with us and uh, <laughs> we're gonna make a movie too about well it. can we bring travis kelsey with us as well i, I suppose <laughs> and his brother and his mom we can make some <laughs> soup commercials anyway uh what i see in the future various things uh, the way we, we serve uh, Stark County, everything from potentially a streetcar, uh, kind of going back to the future. You know, it, this community uh, before the 1950s and that there was actually streetcars that ran in Northeast Ohio. And so in a way, I guess you'd be going back to the future with that. Uh, things like microtransit, maybe even some form of Sunday service. I won't say that too <laughs> loud. Say that. No, I won't say that very loud. Um, we're proud that we're able to do Monday and Tuesday service, but we might even be able to do Sunday service under under a different operating parameter we're looking at. And then something else that we we might do is called microtransit. You know, I won't get into all of them now because you'll probably ask me questions later on, leading questions uh, on that subject. What what is the timeline do you think for microtransit? The future. The future. So there's not really any any no, right. So maybe we should define the term microtransit. It's uh, where we use small bus one foot long, and you have to curl up in the vehicles to use them. We use one foot buses because they get better fuel mileage. So it's for toddlers, <laughs> not adults. It, it could be. <laughs> and uh, here I am. So I was looking at him so seriously. They one foot buses, right? Right. <laughs> so we can either get one forty foot bus or forty one foot bus. Now, really, what microtransit is, and the reason they call it microtransit, it serves a, mo- a smaller area. And it's really a mobility on demand is the concept or kind of like an Uber type service. And so what we're going to be probably rolling out early next year is uh, microtransit in, in certain zones. Uh, so you would have an app on your phone and you'd be able to basically call a vehicle on demand in, in a certain area. We're probably going to work out in, south, in the Mouson area to start with, and then we'll expand from there. And so there'll be an app. You know, you, you'll still need to apply to get into, into that service. We've kind of found... What's been successful around the country is something like a, a six-mile zone uh, seems to be what really is is successful. And really with the employment growth in, in the uh, uh, Maslin area and the Route 21 corridor towards Navarre, it seems like that type of service would, would be uh, very useful to have in that corridor. You were saying it was application-based, but 
the application isn't really a screening. It's just to know who uses the service correct because it wouldn't be like our paratransit. Anybody no, in the zone. No, it would be anybody would be. Could, in the zone could, could use it. And, and then that zone then would connect to the fixed routes probably at the new Maslin Transit Center that we're building. Um, and hopefully we'll we'll start using that that transit center here the, the first part of next year. So I think that that microtransit really could answer a lot of the service questions that people have been asking for that we haven't able been able to provide with the current models that we have. So really excited about us being able to roll that out and do some of the things that we've been hearing about over and over again that people are looking for. Well, and I guess I see my the vision that I see of, of paratransit around the country is really us being able is, is that technology matures, being able to do real time on demand response. So in my mind, it's almost like a civil rights issue. Why Why does people that has a disability, why do they have to call a day in advance? But yet if you're able-bodied, you just go out to the, to the bus and get on when you need to. So I really think that it's going to be, as we move forward more and more, that you're going to see paratransit 24 hours or a day in advance scheduling a place with real-time scheduling uh, using this app. Because just because you're transit-dependent or uh, have a disability shouldn't mean that you don't have the same – accessibility rights that that other people do. I agree. And I think that that'll be that people will really, really like that because that's probably one of the biggest complaints people have with paratransit. They have to plan their life out so much further in advance than people that just use our fixed route service. So Amazon's kind of changed our our view of of stuff is that, you know, I've had stuff show up my house the same day when I order it, which I don't understand how that's possible. (laughs) Pretty soon they'll probably just show up things that you you think of in your head. (laughs) It's called Amazon precognition, you know. Um, But normally the cost of of transportation, the more that the closer it is to to the delivery, if it's, you know, same day or, you know, if you send something, you know, next day air, it's more expensive. And so normally the the paradigm has been if we had more time to schedule and build those routes, we can make them cheaper and more efficient. But with the <clears throat> the same day app, that's kind of changed things somewhat. You know, how the efficiency of service um, can be built and put together. So I did have a question. Um, Isn't that why we're here? <laughs> Ask questions and get really serious answers of the issues that are facing yes. our community. Yes, so I do have a very serious question. Oh, wait a minute. Um, okay. Right. So are we going to be doing a call center. I've been having, you know, people kind of talk about that and ask questions about that. So I just wanted to know if we were in the future moving, looking at doing some t- sort of call center. Yeah. What will happen is people just yell, hey, <laughs> and and we'll respond to them since uh, we'll know what, what's happening. So it'll just be a, 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 more like a yelling center. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at is we've got some grants and stuff is, is, is looking at a call center for multiple counties in Northeast Ohio. Right now we've got Wayne, Medina, Youngstown, and Warren County that in Columbiana that are going to go together and try to use a centralized dispatching system where we can then dispatch in, into those counties. And the idea is that a, one call center, but one more efficient. One of the things I guess that we've been trying to do with EasyFair, with EasyConnect, all these other kind of cross-agency programs is in a way make the county lines invisible, make the transition between transit systems invisible. Where we want to be or go is – it doesn't really matter to John Q. Public of what bus would show up. You might have a Metro bus show up uh, or a Youngstown bus even show up to complete part of your trip. And so what we're trying to do is look at that same day kind of delivery of service or even you know being able to dispatch vehicles like 
you know, we, we take people to Cleveland or Cleveland Clinic. You know, is it possible to have a Cleveland RTA vehicle then complete that trip so we don't necessarily have a bus sitting up there? And so the, the idea is, one, to increase efficiency, but then also kind of knock down those county boundaries. And for, like I said, the John Q. public, ultimately, you know, just have one kind of big transit center. I don't necessarily think that you're going to see a, a consolidation on a county level um, just because the way the tax base works and, and different pieces of legislation that's in the higher revised code. But I do think that we can do more cross-sharing with fares, with sharing of assets uh, like vehicles and sharing of resources to make sure we can move people within our community and within our region much more efficiently. And so building that call center um, is one way we can do that. Uh, right now we're working with with ODOT and, and putting those together. There's a regional one in Northeast Ohio that we're working on, and then there's another one in Southwest Ohio around Cincinnati and Butler County. And so those two nodes will kind of then be what we're working towards in consolidating that that service um, on a regional and potentially even statewide basis. Wow, that's wonderful. Great connectivity. I like that a lot. Uh, it, it's like I said, just because you don't necessarily are, are transit dependent, why is your mobility choice is limited to a community or or a single county. Yeah. It, it's like I keep on going black. In a way, it's almost like it's a, a civil rights issue that that we need to start solving for for individuals. You know, I, I know there's stories that I've heard where people, and this is a couple of years ago, where one guy was was taking our Cleveland Express route to the health line up in Cleveland to go to Cleveland Clinic for cancer treatments. And I'm thinking that's a kind of a kind of a big deal. But if you give people opportunity to use transit on their mobility issues, what they will create on their own is actually kind of incredible. I've even heard stories of people going to fly in in Hopkins, taking the their train downtown and then transferring to us to come to Canton. So the way that they'll use mobility, if, if you provide it, yeah. um, people will find a way to use it. They'll figure it, it out. And very creatively in some ways, uh, things that we've never even considered. Yeah. So speaking of Cleveland, uh, I know that you talked about us looking at different vehicles and things yeah. like that for the Cleveland route. Could you talk a little bit about what that is? Because these vehicles are different than the current ones we have. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So we are awarded two battery electric buses. And if you've been watching us for any amount of time, you know, we have one of the largest hydrogen fleets in the country. And people are asking me, why are you buying battery electric? Well, first of all, an over the road coach or like a Greyhound coach at this point isn't really available for in hydrogen. So probably the main reason. But the other reason really is we've been looking for a better solution to our Cleveland route than than a, a normal city 40-foot coach. If you get on one of our buses, the seats are not designed to be extremely comfortable, that stuff. <clears throat> the main reason is you get on the bus and you get off the bus. The trips aren't that long. But we're transporting our veterans, which, you know, are have served our country, and we're, we're providing them service going to Cleveland, to the VA, where they're sitting on these hard plastic seats for about an hour and a half. And it's been something that's kind of – we've been working towards trying to find a better solution for a while. And and really, the first over-the-road coaches that I saw in the industry, this is about 900 years ago, but they did have a wheelchair lift, but the wheelchair lift came out of the, the baggage area um, and went up to the platform of, of the bus – which is about a good eight feet up. And so I didn't really like that application because if you're on a wheelchair, it kind of looked like you're on a walk the plank off a pirate ship. <laughs> and I just didn't really like that. Didn't think it was safe. And so they've actually kind of redesigned the, um, they call it a low floor over the road coach where they actually have a compartment. If you can imagine, 
you, I'm sure you've been on some tour buses that have like a, a bathroom down, kind of some steps. Well, they've taken that entire configuration out, and now you just got a ramp that goes into that that configuration where you've got about four or five tie down locations for wheelchairs, and so <clears throat> it's kind of caught up to what I think is appropriate use for uh, that over the road coach, and so. We're going to put those two on order probably at the end of next this year so we can start operation hopefully uh, sometime in 25 with this <clears throat> those over-the-road coaches that go to Cleveland. So it'll be a lot more comfortable seats, recline. It'll be like a normal kind of tour bus. But they will be zero emissions in electric. So in my mind, it's a really good application for electric because, you know, they can run about 150 miles, come back to the garage, charge, and the other one can go out. So that's kind of a a good application for that specific technology. So when I was at APTA at the expo, I was able to see one of those buses that were ordered yeah. to get on it. It was really cool. I was able to see the space where the wheelchairs are going to be. So it was really nice it's to actually nice. be able to see it. So it's, I think it'll be really good. I think people will appreciate it and appreciate the thought that was put into making sure that it's a comfortable ride since it's so long. So yeah, you kind of know you're you've been in the industry way too long when you get on the bus. Wow, this is a nice bus. It's <laughs> a know, new bus smell. And look at this seats. Oh, they go back nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, and then look at the you know and we we took it up a big hill. I'm like, oh yeah, the gear ratio is really nice too on this. You know, I guess you know you're been around too long. Whenever you're <laughs> look at that kind of stuff, but we're looking forward to getting that. Uh, those vehicles here so we can, like I said, make that long distance trip better and more comfortable for the individuals going up to the VA clinic and in Cleveland in general. Now, I heard you mention um, low emissions or lower yes. no emissions. When do you think that start as a company will kind of be just 100% that way? Well, there's two ways you can get low emissions. One would be get zero emission vehicles. The other one is just talk lower. And so we have low emissions. And so we could probably accomplish that by today. We just go so low emissions. But in reality, we've got a few diesel buses left basically in a contingency fleet. So we may have 10 diesel vehicles left. The real reason why we still have diesel, one, battery electric has its place. And I don't think it's a really good application for general over-the-road over the road buses that operate 10 to 15 hours in a day. And the reason for that really is you have to bring that equipment back in and charge it um, after it goes 150 miles. And most of our routes operate anywhere for 12 to 16 hours a day, uh, could put 300 miles on it. So I don't really like to have equipment pulled back into the garage to, re to recharge. I really don't like our equipment dictating our operating paradigm. So it's kind of one reason I've stayed away from battery electric and the general transit application. The other thing, hydrogen right now, you can get either a 50 or 50, a 40 or 60 foot bus. So it's, there's, and some of our vehicles are, are 30 or 35 foot. And really the reason for that is we, some of our routes go back into neighborhoods and there's tight turns and that stuff. So we really need some of the smaller equipment to, to meet our service demands. But we really don't have either a good zero electric, battery electric or hydrogen vehicle that's available in the market now. So that's one limitation. The other limitation we're starting to find is even with CNG, uh, besides that, the technology limitations in CNG, one of the things that's happened because of, of the pandemic, OEMs, the car manufacturers are making fewer and fewer types of vehicles. And so they've really kind of limit, limited down on what they're, they're buying for compressed natural gas. And we've actually had to go and buy gasoline vehicles um, for, for some of our paratransit vehicles, and that stuff. So really the limitation that we have is really about the availability of zero emission vehicles. Uh, our hope is that we'll see more and more products come online in both the CNG, hydrogen, 
and electric in the in the next few years. So I can't give you a hard timeline on when we're going to make a transition. I could just tell you that we're working towards making that transition to either a low or zero emission fleet altogether. But you know, as long as the uh, the OEMs and the the car companies work with us and the manufacturers, yeah. then we'll be able to transition. I know that um, talking with Mark, who hasn't been on the show, RCAO, he said that the original goal was to try to get as close to totally no low emissions by the end of 24. I'm assuming, based on what you said, that all those factors have tied into why that might not actually be a possibility. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I mean, the idea that we're actually going to the gasoline vehicles and we're going to the gas station is really kind of working. You you actually see SARA vehicles at the gas station. Uh, It's really working against where you want to be, but... The first and foremost thing that we do is deliver service to people and transport people. Yeah. Most of our, our our riders could care less if we had gas-fired buses <laughs> or, or coal-fired buses and we were digging and we were shoveling in like the old trains. They just want the bus to show up. So yeah. that is our, our highest obligation, and that's the thing we have to meet. And so sometimes they, if you have to take a step backwards, so to speak, on your emissions – to deliver service, that's our, our main goal. So we're, we're not going to substitute an arbitrary number – of 2025 or 2026 or 2030 to get to zero emission, to sacrifice our availability to deliver service with reliable equipment. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yes, it does. I know you were on here before and you've kind of said the same thing, not about the vehicles, but in general. So it makes perfect sense that um, that's the the top priority. Yeah, Um, I mean, that's the bottom line is people want the bus to show up on time. They want to be there at the scheduled time. They want to be be there whenever they need to need to go somewhere. And that's that's the bottom line. The, some of this other stuff, most people could give two hoots about. Um, I mean, it makes a difference in the world and that stuff, and we need to work that way. But our prime ex- objective is delivering people service on time and, and, and with predictable schedules and good equipment. So I know when you were on here before, we did a whole podcast about hydrogen and us working in, you know, in the clean energy space. Mm-hmm future looking for SARTA in general, what are some things that we're going to be doing in the future, either adding to what we're currently doing or new things related to that space? So probably the biggest thing that has happened since the last time is the Department of Energy and the Biden administration announced the winners of the hydrogen hubs. Um, there were seven grand across the country, and we were included in the, the what's called Arch 2, or it's the Appalachian area, which is West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Um, the other one's Originally, there was over 73 different projects that were applied. Uh, DOE cut that down to 33 and then invited 20 to come and interview. So the one we were with actually then got funded. Uh, the, the whole hub itself with with the DOE funding and private funding, we're going to see about a $2 billion investment in the hydrogen economy in our region to move that forward. And I think we talked about it before that hydrogen can be used to substitute in making steel, making concrete. And it's really going to be one of the, the the elements that we're going to use as a society, so to speak, to decarbonize. And so the idea that we're a part of that effort and a part of that is pretty important. And we'll be working with a policy on how that it rolls out in other areas, just not in transportation. What it means to start specifically is right now we're using what's called gray hydrogen, which is basically made from nat- natural gas and, and doesn't really capture the carbon. So what we'll do is we actually become a node of this hydrogen hub where we'll produce zero emission hydrogen on site. And, and it could potentially even be uh, have off takers in the region that would use hydrogen created at, at SART as one of the hubs. So that's kind of our involvement there uh, in, in putting this ecosystem together. 
and moving forward. So it's kind of an exciting time to be be a part of all that. I guess my question about the hub as well is like, I know you talked about our part, but like, what is the hub as a whole? Like, I know that there was a competition to be able to be a hub, but what is the hub doing besides what our part is? So basically the the biggest thing is going to be making probably close to 30 tons of hydrogen a day. And so what we're trying to do is match up producers with consumers uh, you'll see everywhere from new core to potentially uh, U.S. steel actually using that hydrogen. Mm-hmm. You'll see people, pneumonia producers, you'll see people using fertilizer and those kinds of things uh, using hydrogen. You also will see um, there's a couple different uh, utility generators that actually be substituting some hydrogen in making electricity versus natural gas. And one of the other things you'll start seeing is natural gas or hydrogen being injected into the natural gas grid. And so you'll actually, the appliances in your home can burn up to four, up to 5 to 10% hydrogen versus natural gas. And so one of the things they want to try to do is, is, is substitute the use of a green natural, a green hydrogen and offset some of the um, natural gas that will be used in industrial purposes and that kind of stuff. So instead of necessarily burning natural gas, you'll burn hydrogen, which is, has a lower carbon content. Actually, with, with hydrogen itself, when it's burned, there there is no there's minimal carbon release. Whereas uh, methane has about four times the amount of of carbon that is per molecule than hydrogen does. So it's a much more carbon intense fuel. Even if you burn it, uh, you're 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 saving a big uh, carbon savings by using hydrogen. So when you started off, you talked about the future and how SARTA looks, and you talked about streetcar. Yep. Can you talk about what that means, what we're looking at, kind of where that's at? Sure. So we originally did a feasibility study of looking at a streetcar or or a train connecting the airport, Building Village Mall, the Hall of Fame Village area, uh, and downtown Canton together in a node federal government has a system of rating them. Uh, it came back that it was within the range of feasibility to go to the next step. We, f- we figured that the, that would be probably transporting close to 3,000 people a day. The main driver in this is the Hall of Fame village with employees and, and visitors that there's not necessarily enough parking up there. And so what we're in the midst of doing now after we did the feasibility study is looking at basically a parking and access study with ourselves, ODOT, um, Stark County Regional Planning, the Hall of Fame Village, and some other stakeholders around our community. And it's trying to really identify where these locations would be. Uh, one of the things that we do have, there is parking in downtown that is being used during the day, but at evenings and weekends, there is there is capacity in downtown to connect into it. So there's the kinds of things we want to do is make sure we're maximizing the community's parking assets in as, as efficiently we can before we build more. And so really the idea is that streetcar potentially could effectively connect all the uh, the various locations on that line. And so if, if you're familiar with, there is actually an existing railroad line that runs right past the airport, past the Hall of Fame Village, down to Tuscarawas um, Street. There we'd actually would run in the street into downtown uh, there's a couple different potential alignments there, so you would actually see, a, you know, a street, uh, a car, a rail car running in the streets in downtown Canton if we would be able to move this way. Even if right, right now it's a possibility, if we don't necessarily use the street car, that we still would have to use regular buses to identify and, and and move people around 
the community. So whichever way we move, there is necessarily either an opportunity or a need that's going to arise with the completion of Hall of Fame Village to, to move people around our community. And so that's really why we've been involved in this and pushing it is to make sure that um, that the connectivity is is there for both both the riders and and the people who want to access the Hall of Fame Village, and it's, and it's done in a in a um, an efficient manner. Is really why we've been involved. I've had a lot of people in the community ask about the 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 streetcar. They're really excited just hearing about it. They ask me all types of questions that I typically don't have the answer for, but they are so excited about it. One of the more interesting things about it is, and you probably saw this down in Orlando at the Aptus show, is is there's actually now hydrogen-powered trains. I rode wow. on the hydrogen-powered yeah. train when I yeah. was in Orlando. Super excited. My favorite part of the conference. Wow. And so we would probably <laughs> use that as an application as a zero-emission vehicle. The, the interesting thing about it is that would eliminate any need for overhead wires in downtown or up the corridor. So it would just be internally powered. We'd also then, the only other way to eliminate the over, overhead power without using hydrogen would be using diesel, which that's not really a, an acceptable uh, alternative, at least anymore. Yeah. And so be one of the first ones to really deploy that technology, a rail application, if we would go that way. Well, Kurt, I just want to tell you that all of this information has been so helpful. I know to our listeners, I'm learning a lot as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I so, usually keep all this secret. I know. You yeah. really do. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. Clayton says, well, that hasn't come across my desk yet. He does it all the time. He does. I think uh, the staff is like, oh, God, what idea does he have today? <laughs> well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on again. We truly appreciate it. And you giving us, you know, all of this information because the community really does need to hear it. So thank you so much. Sure. Glad to do it. And I just like a lot of the stuff that you've said, I've heard, but I think it's I hear it in the office. So that's why I think this was a really um, good podcast to get some of that information out so the public knows the variety of things that we're trying to look at and do for the community. And the main thing we have to talk about is low emissions. <laughs> yes, low, low emissions. Um, so I think that that was really helpful. I think it will help the community to see really the thought that's put into the things that Sarge is doing yeah. and the value that Sarge is trying to add as a whole, not only to Star County, but the community at large. So again, thank you so much for being on today. How we could do it. And thanks to everyone for listening to us this season. See you next season on Next Stop.